Okay, we are recording. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. This is the Beer Rap and Banner podcast. Myself, English. And myself, Cal Sirius. Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to follow us. And we have an incredibly special guest today. Um, everyone inside, please make some noise for Councillor Dr. Hashi. Please make some noise. What's going on, man? Episode 39, Nicholas and Elka episode. How you been? Can't complain, you know. Can't complain. Yeah? You've been well? Keeping busy. Keeping very busy by the looks of it. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, yeah. It's good to see you, Hash. Um, how did you get your name, by the way? Is it because you like to smoke the hashish? No, no, do you need, that's stereotyping, you know. So my surname's Hashi, but my first name is Mohammed, and there's a lot of Mohammeds. There is, it's a holy name. You, but do you need, it's actually the most popular name in the world, despite the variations in the spellings. So what we done in primary school, I was the first Mohammed, obviously. Obviously. And uh, then another Mohammed came, then another one came. So we started getting called M1, M2, M3. When we got to M6, we uh, referred back to surnames just to keep it, you know, <laughs> clear. That's, that's quite hard, though. I think a young man would probably like being called M3 or something like that. That's Boy, quite, there's that's too many name. M's in it. We started losing our identity. <laughs> <laughs> just, just call me BMW. Yeah. <laughs> Citroen Saxo over here. Um, so just to give it some background, I've known you for a while. We went to university yeah. together a long time. Uh, back at London Metropolitan back in 2006 or so and you've always been very bubbly very outspoken and a good people person and Thank you've you. you've transpired this now to um, your work in and around South London and other parts of London um, just let everyone know a bit about yourself your history uh, so, briefly and then we'll talk about your role into politics and then obviously the Brixton Soup Kitchen so yeah um, again it's from uni actually that a lot of a lot of my community stuff started so um Part of that is I went uni, I didn't take a student loan because I'm Muslim and because of the um, interest associated with the student loan. So I'd done four jobs, seven days a week for four years to get through uni. And one of those jobs was youth work. Mm. And for me, that was really the, my entrance into doing a lot of the community work, seeing the gaps in provisions for young people, for us, etc. So can you just explain what the problem is with taking a loan and having to pay interest so, for a Muslim? Yeah, f so what is this about the... I think it's to do more with fairness because mm. it's interest is associated with percentage rather than what you actually took. So depending on inflation and things like that, you don't actually know. It's almost a gamble when you take a, a, a loan because you don't know what you're going to be actually paying back. You don't know if it's something that will break you. You don't know if it's something that you'll get the better side of it and the bank will lose out, etc. So it's about that fairness and that balance because there's uncertainty associated with that, that percentage as far as I understand. Mm. Okay. So you, you've obviously worked very hard and for as long as I've known you, you've been about and helping the community. So just with your youth work, how did you how did you find that? Um, and then I know you encountered a few issues along the mm -hmm. way. Um, would you like just to speak on that briefly? Just like, yes. So how you, how, you help, how you was helping people and then the unfortunate events, which... So Dini, is, um, for, for me, it's, it's how I got into youth work was my personal situation. So we used to go to the youth club and sometimes there won't be no youth workers there. So we can't play football, we yeah. can't come in, etc. And one of the things was, um, I, I said to the youth worker, can't I do it? Can't I just like be responsible? And they brought me in as a, as a peer leader, which meant I was still a young person. I wasn't getting paid, but I had responsibilities and we could actually use the facilities. And that just continued and I was there for about, I'm still doing youth work now. Mm. And for me, it was about being able to see the gaps as being a young person, see the gaps and being able to start looking at filling them. Um, and that, that was for me, that's, again, as I said, that was the entrance for me 
becoming a community person. Um, but that doesn't change the situation. The environment around us was still the same. I went to a school, a local school. Um, f seven of us got five GCSEs out of 200 of us. Mm. Um, we had a, a new head teacher every year. So every year our head teacher got sacked. Wow. We didn't realise the significance of yeah, that. Yeah. The school was um, just about to be put under special measures. But we was just there happy, you know, living yeah. life. That actually sounds all right. a bit crazy. Because, you know, uh, if we think about it in football terms, you know, like... When a football club loses its manager, the club's really unstable. The players mm. are kind of a bit restless. And I, I can imagine it'll be exactly the same kind of thing for a school when they lose their head teacher. I think it, it might have been. But mm. for us as students, we were so disconnected from the teachers anyway. We weren't yeah. really feeling that. Do you know what I mean? Like, we didn't really even realise how much problems the school was going through. We didn't realise the reputation of the school. We was just living life. If I'm honest with you, I'm, I don't want to say my age. But even Young up to enough. now, I'm still, I learned how to do a tie last year because as part of our school uniform, we didn't have no tie. Okay. We just had a black jumper with a red logo in it, jeans, trainers, whatever we wanted. Mm. And that changed the year that we left. The year below us got a uniform, blazer and ties and such, et cetera. And I didn't even realise the significance of that in terms of kind of preparing you for, for, yeah. for, for life. Yeah. Do you think uniform's important for, for, young, for young teenagers that they go to secondary school? I think it is. And even know. in primary, so obviously working, we've both worked with children and just the importance of uh, uniform for in primary and then even secondary, looking smart and feeling as a part of a collective. I think that's an aspect of it. But also for me, it, it you know, when you put the pressure on a young person to dress their own way, it's like, how much money have they got? How much clothes have they yeah. got? What are the resources? You know, you start actually creating a barrier there. And I think a lot of the time that puts pressure on families that, you know, they've already got enough pressures on them already. Mm. But again, uniforms ain't cheap either. So there's yeah. a bit of a balance there. It is, it is. It I'm is. glad I didn't have a uniform if I'm honest with you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad. I don't really like this. Being restricted or being told Ooh, nah, to I don't feel you know, I did work in one primary school once where they didn't have a school uniform. Mm. And they felt that it kind of helped the children to have a sense of individualism and their own personal identity. And I, I do see that there are pluses for everyone having a school uniform and everyone kind of being the same but at the same time it is quite important for people to be themselves so I can see both sides of it really yeah it's interesting because there's that whole belonging thing as well like when you're part of a school and you've got the same uniform as your friends etc you feel like you're part of something so mm. for me it's something that has to be kind of looked into a bit deeper I think you can't just like look at it from the outside and say yeah I like this or I like that mm. there's a lot of issues I think yeah, and then from there you've built your connection working with youth, but unfortunately um, you faced an issue where you was stabbed and shot while doing youth work. Um, and you uh, just speak on that and sort of, without, well, I mean, going to it as much as you can, but then sort of how much help you got from the community or lack of help you got from uh, certain organisations. So um, getting stabbed, so I didn't get stabbed and shot at the same time, no. fortunately. Yeah. I just wanted to clarify that. Yeah. That would have been quite unfortunate. <laughs> that would yeah. have been dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a bad day at work. Man. So when I got started, I was 15 and that was an attempted robbery on a bus. Okay. And I uh, had a fight with the guys and ended up getting stabbed. So unfortunately, that was quite straightforward. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a, um, I think it was quite a typical experience in, in, in South. Um, getting shot was a bit more intricate. So I didn't actually get shot as in someone pointed a gun at me and shot me. No. So I was... Um, on my way to breaking up a fight as I've crossed the road someone's I've seen someone produce a, a gun and as their arms gone back so they weren't pointing at me it was like they were pointing in this direction and I was across the road mm. here and as their arm went back 
my arm just dropped. I was thinking, wow. And for me, Dini, it's, it's, it's funny because that was literally one of the best experiences of my life, if I'm honest with you, because it allowed me to get insight to what a lot of our kids go through. Yeah. But also it was a, a light bulb moment, you know, like I'm going to get you guys to do this physically, yeah? So if you just open your hand up, go open your hand and close it and then tell me how you done it. Just kind of used your fingers in your hand. You see, you're assuming, what did you actually do? Your brain told your hand to me. Yeah. You see, you're getting scientific. For me, I was sitting there with no use in my left yeah. arm thinking, what's going on? And I'm looking at my right, closing it, saying, what, what do I actually do here that I need to replicate mm. over here to get this working? And there was nothing I could do. And for me, I was like, boy, I've been blessed all this time with perfect use of two arms. And I've never even realised it as a, as a blessing. So for me, it was like proper light bulb. I was there bleeding, dying, wow. thinking, whoa, this is deep. Yeah. So what had actually happened, the bullet actually went through my shoulder, cut the nerve to my arm, shattered my rib. My rib hit my lung, collapsed my lung, and the bullet stopped half a centimetre on top of my spine. Wow. So literally, I've got a, a little cut on my spinal line. Yeah. So it could have been a lot worse. It could have been a lot worse. And like you said, a light bulb moment. And then you've been working towards um, anti-knife uh, campaigns and mm-hmm. anti-violence. Sorry sp- to interrupt, but can we just uh, specify exactly where in South is your phone? Because South London gets a bit of a bad rep. People always say South, South, but whereabouts in South is it? Boy, yeah, I, feel, I feel like it's the real South. Like okay. I grew up in Stockholm, Brixton, that okay. kind of area. Yeah. Which you've been doing a lot of work in the community. Yeah. yeah. So just, just speak on that, if you will, um, some of the campaigns you've been working with and so, people you've, you've been working with. So again, for me, a lot of that was around my experience. So when I got shot, I went to hospital, got kind of patched out. It took a nerve from my um, forearm, put it into my shoulder. I was off work for how long? But what was interesting is uh, some of the stories that started getting created. So in the media, it was said I was arguing with a group of 16-year-olds in a chicken shop. And then I walked out and they shot me. And that was uh, not great for my rep. So, And it was not true. So it was almost that blame for young people. Yeah, you know, it must yeah. be mindless young people that have done it. I then got some um, people going back to like the head teacher and that saying, "You've why did he employ a gang member? I heard it was a drug deal gone wrong. It was a shootout. It was attempted robbery, as in I was attempted to rob someone. Despite the fact that I was a teacher, despite the fact that I had a degree in biomedical science, mm. despite all these things, those, you know, kind of that hearsay started anyway. And for me, I was thinking to myself, wow, this is deep. And is this what these kids go through when they go through these experiences? Rather than just, you know, that person is an unfortunate victim. Yeah. You're f- trying to find reasons. And fortunately for me, the, the head teacher at that school, can you even imagine what she done? She turned around, sent me some flowers and gave me an extension on my contract, a year's extension. She um, also gave me a pay rise because of my, my previous work mm. that I was in before I got shot as a show of support. And that's for me something I, w- I won't ever forget. So shout out Miss Tapper, shout out Miss Williams. Shout out. That is beautiful to see that support there mm. in a time where it probably would have been easier to kind of let oh. you go. Especially it sounds like he was a contractor as well. So it's easy come, easy go with contractors. Well, it is, I was bed bound for two months. So it weren't even like I could have contested any decision they made at that time. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, nah, a deep experience. But again, I'm thankful for for the support that I got. Yeah. Again, I was a well-qualified person, good support network, etc. But it still did take five years after the incident for me to be diagnosed with post-traumatic stress, wow. which meant I was hyper-vigilant. I was hyper-aggressive. You know, like I was always assuming something negative was going to happen to me. 
which was so tiring to be on edge like that 24-7 for five years. And for me, that was that. Um, that was really the, the insight that I got for young people. I'm thinking that's me as a big man, qualified, support networks, good reputation, area, etc. And I thought to myself, imagine the kids that ain't got that. Imagine the ones that are 14, 15 that have been stabbed, didn't die, or mm. have watched their friends stabbed and did die. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. imagine those experiences and that trauma that they're carrying. And then they come back into school and we try to deal with them like everything is cool, everything is normal. For me, it's, it's, I feel like as adults, we really let down our young people especially when we look at the stats around around violence and mental health. Mm. It's been a real issue. Um, so you're doing a lot of work with young people and work around London and with your politics as a councillor uh, for Labour. Yeah. yeah, so, and a smile comes into, cause how, did you, how did that come about? Um, again, it was, again, it weren't even really something I planned, if I'm honest with you. Yeah. As, as part of, so when I got shot, I was getting stopped by the police a lot. Yeah. And, you know, there was one incident specifically that kind of gave me, they put that battery in my back, which was, I was outside of McDonald's waiting for two young people. I was a, a science tutor at the mm. time. And I'm waiting for them to get their food to do the tutoring and a, a police officer rides up to me on a bike. And he says to me, you right there, mate? And I'm thinking, huh? I said, I'm fine, thank you. He's like, gonna be doing any stabbings today? Wow. And I was like, that's exactly, you know what? It actually made me laugh how ludicrous it was. And I said to him, actually, I'm a, I'm a science teacher waiting for my students to do a session. Oh, well, you know, round here, there's a lot of stabbings and there's a lot of shootings, you know, we've got to be vigilant. I said to myself, you know, as I walked up, I was just thinking to myself, how can I stop someone doing that to me? Where's, where's the repercussions? Yeah. Where's the accountability? And from that, it, it spurred me. I started reaching out to people saying, what can I do about these kind of experiences? You know, on my car, I had 12 gun tags, which meant that every time the police ran my plates, it, it come up as I was suspected of being involved in 12 different shootings, <sighs> including the one where I got shot. Yeah. Which obviously I was involved in as the victim. Yeah. But they don't specify these things. So for me, I started getting really upset about it, thinking this is a setup. So how did you on, find out that information you. about you having 12 gun tags? So there was, police were stopping me so often, but I'm a youth worker and I was in all the areas and I think that's why I had so many gun tags. So my job at the time was when a, a serious incident happens, I go out into the area and engage the young people, make find out what they need in terms of resources, what we can support them with. So what I guess was happening is when I go into the area, I was getting picked up on camera and they're thinking, who's this person? Suspicious kind of thing. But... I started getting stopped so often that the police officers were recognising me and saying, oh, hey, you do youth work, like, yeah, carry on the good work and blah, blah, blah. And one of them actually said to me, do you need, you might want to think about selling this car, you know, because it's got a lot of markers in it. And I said, what's a marker? He's like, yeah. I said, can't I get rid of them? He's like, nah, it's just information markers. So it's not even official to say, it's just like advising other officers who look on it. It's been saved on, on the actual notes. So I was like, I got to get rid of this car, man. But for me, what happened from there, I got, I got into a group called the CPCG, so the Community Police Consultative Group that actually held the borough commander and the senior councillors to account. Mm. I got involved in the Stop and Search Monitoring Group, which I became the chair of, which holds the police to account around their use of stop and search. Yeah. I became the vice chair of the Independent Advisory Group to the police. I became the vice chair of the Safe Enabled Board, which holds the borough commander to account. I've literally got involved in everything. Became the community, because we were talking about the disconnect between police and the community mm. and how the police aren't from the areas that they yeah. police or so patrol and people are scared of them and they're scared of the people. And that's why you you have encounters where these police officers are saying these type of 
horrible things to you and and, and our, our young Londoners, you know, our lo not even Londoners, but people around the country and there's, there's no connect and relationship. And so you were there to, to advise and to talk and, and, and to help. 100%. And, and even off the back of that, I now sit on five advisory groups at Scotland Yard. And for me, it's, again, it's about building because a lot of the senior officers, they understand the problem and yeah. they want to solve it. But there's so many fresh officers coming in. So right now what we're working on is putting together a training package to actually... Because for me, the, the, the biggest impact on this is media. Mm. And what happens is if you've got so many officers that don't live in London watching the media before they come in. So, for example, someone's been posted to Brixton because there's going to be reclaimed Brixton um, demonstrations. They're coming in with their backup. They're thinking, oh, shoot, like there's gangs and there's stabbings and shootings. And so they're coming in frightened. Yeah. Mm. And for us, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because our kids pick up on that so easily. You know, yeah. they pick up on those so attitudes. Fair. Yeah. And so when you see, like, when you kind of step back and you look at interaction between our young people specifically and the police, you'll see how negative it is. Both sides are coming in with their back up and, you know, pushing out their chest and all that bluster, et cetera. But even as adults, when you try to intervene, I feel like sometimes officers, and I, I mean grassroots officers, you know, the PCs that are doing response work, et cetera, they kind of view you as the enemy because they, they feel like the community is against them. So they, as the police, have to be against the community. Mm. Now, my thing is that if you was from that community, you wouldn't feel like that. You'd you'd have a stake in having a good relationship with the community because you lived there. Yeah. So, but again, is 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 that a place that people in the community want to work in the police? Again, right now it's no. Mm. It's an interesting one. Are you doing a lot of work in the community and 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 in and around Brixton? Um, how have we spoke about sort of how Brixton's changed with the gentrification, how have you seen it, seen it change for, for better and for worse? And just talk about how you're making the most of the whole gentrified setup. So for, for me, it's, it's again, another interesting topic is, is gentrification. For me, gentrification is the um, investment into an area where previously there was no investment. So when you look at where Brixton was 15, 20 years ago, it weren't looking good. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It was slumish. It was all these crime issues. You had no investment. All of a sudden we're getting investment in. I feel like the people that are really complaining about it are people that can afford to complain about it. Really, when you when we talk about gentrification, I remember talking to, to kids three, four years ago about gentrification. They didn't know what it meant. So when you've got, you know, all these demonstrations like Reclaim Brixton a couple of years ago, big demonstration, they ended up smashing up some windows like the Foxtons, like the Bernardos. And there were six arrests across the board. And mm. for me not one of them was from Brixton. Not one of them was even from London. You know, not six even of them, one of them. One six out of six. From, six of them was out of London. All six. Wow. And what it is, is, is we're attracting people. You know, when Margaret Thatcher died, why did everyone come to Brixton to celebrate? We've got nothing to do with Margaret Thatcher. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And what it is, is this kind of takeover. And for me, when we talk about gentrification, I feel like there's a real responsibility on the community to get involved in the processes. You know, mm. as, as you were saying, for me, one of the first things I'd done was set up a, a, a little tour of Brixton. You know, I charged a, a good amount of money for the right. tour. Right. And I walked them around. And you, let me sh let me tell you, look at the marketing for this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the title of the tour. Guns, Gangs and Gentrification. Wow. You know what? I'd pay to go on that tour. Bro, it's amazing. I'm not going to lie to you. It's amazing. And I like it because... It's always getting updated. You know, we talk about people forgot about in 1999 the nail bomb by Dave, um, David Copeland. Yeah. You know, people forget about why Brixton was targeted. It was targeted because it was a multicultural area and he believed that it would affect the cross section of, of the community. We talk about Electric Avenue, the first place in Brixton with running electricity. 
Do you know what I mean? When we talk about Windrush Square mm. and, and the SS Windrush coming to, 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 to South London, there's so much history in there. Yeah, when we history. talk about having an ex-Prime Minister, so John Major was a councillor in Lambeth, specifically Brixton. Okay. Ken Livingston, former mayor, David Bowie. All of this comes from me, and all we ever hear is negativity from there. Mm. And for me, sometimes it's good when people come to visit that we don't number one sugarcoat it with just gentrification, like to say this is the only time that we're doing positive around here. Do you know what I mean? It's important that they see the whole, uh, a, a, a real view of what's happening in the area, but also it's something to inspire the young kids as well. Because we've got so many people that's made so much positivity from Brixton specifically. And all we ever talk about is knife crime and gentrification. It's a now. problem. Um, although I do think you're one of the people who are a really positive force, a real positive role model Thank coming you. out of that area. Um, but you've actually managed to put yourself into a number of groups, haven't you? So there is the one where you kind of work with the police. Can you mm -hmm. tell us a, a bit about some of the other groups that you're in? So I also um, was a commissioner for the um, Lambeth Equalities Commission which looked at, and this is this is why it's deep for me, it looked at specifically, firstly, identifying the groups of people that don't, haven't got the opportunity to take advantage of the investment that's coming into to Lambeth specifically. So they identified the Portuguese um, community, they identified the, the Somali community, identified the, the, the disabled community. You know, people that, f there's actual barriers there. So what it done is it drilled into what those barriers were and what needs to change to remove those barriers. Mm. So that's that's an example. Um, literally everything, if I'm honest with you. Stop and search is a big one for me because it affected me specifically. But also I always wanted to look at how to find a route for young people to hold police officers to account. Yeah. And not just in negative, you know, like a teaching. Because sometimes I might get approached by a police officer because I'm in a tracksuit and I look young. And I, do you know what I mean? Whatever it is but it's not legal. So our kids don't know the law, so they pop off all the time. The police officers are, are confident that they don't know the law as well, so they don't. They can do whatever they want. They can explain. Mm. Yeah. yeah, so for me, it's about teaching our kids ex uh, understanding and information, mm. but also then teaching them how to conduct themselves. Do you think schools have an obligation to, to teach this as well to, to, to the teenagers I and kids so. that they know? They say every gentleman should know the law. So yeah. why are they not teaching the law in schools? Well, well, they don't want them to. If you talk, if you talk about the hundred million pounds the government's just taken out of schools, mm. that could be an issue. Yeah. For me, I worked uh, seven months as a science teacher, and I found directly the stress associated with being a teacher. Yeah, you know, you're marking your own work, you're you're setting up um, the classes, you're you're putting in the resources. Do you know what I mean? You're doing so much behavior management. Yeah. All these stuff, is, and then we're going to ask teachers to do more. Yeah, of course. For me, yeah. there has to be a proper investment. And I don't think it should sit squarely on, on, on the schools or squarely in the community or squarely on the, on the police. It should be a partnership mm. because they come across all of us. Do you know what I mean? Because I think the reality is at the moment is if there's stuff that you're not getting from school and from the community, then it's going to have to come from the parents. So that might be something where... Parents need to sit their children down. Parents need to know the law first and then pass that information down onto their kids. So again, if we talk about Lambeth specifically, we've got approximately 310,000 residents. Of those residents, 27% is accepted by the council as living on the poverty line and just under it, which is 83,700 people. So again, what you're doing is asking those people that are already under stress with increasing rent prices, the change in, 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 uh, in, in, in society in terms of universal credit and all these things that are really designed to trip you up. And we're saying, let's give them some more responsibilities with no extra support. For me, again, I'm, I'm really, really mm. cautious about 
attributing those kind of blames to people that are already struggling. I wasn't trying to uh, place blame. I was thinking of a responsibility sorry. in terms of sort of moving forward. How could we resolve this issue? And if you have a child, I would have thought your responsibility is to ensure the safety of your child. So it would make sense for you to educate your child on things like knowing what a police officer can and can't do, knowing what the law is, what your rights are, things like that. I mean, if it's not coming from the school, then really you should make sure your child gets that information because that kind of information can save a life. Not 100%, but again, for me, there's the, the lack of youth clubs, which we all grew up on, mm. do you know what I mean? And that's where you would have got a lot of that information. You would have had youth workers on the street supporting the young people and, and being that link between the parents and the schools, etc. That got taken away. And for me, because it hasn't been replaced, because obviously the first cuts that come come to youth services because young people can't vote, who else is going to fight for them? And for me, my biggest issue is that we've, we've allowed an environment to be created where young people are targeted without any repercussions. And we keep trying to blame the parents and the young people for that. Now, the young people do have a responsibility and parents do have a responsibility, but a greater responsibility is where the money is, if we're being honest. Mm. And for me, you've taken away youth clubs, you've taken away youth services. Where do these young people get the support from? Where should they be getting that education from? And where, if they do learn the law, remember, that's not even guaranteed that the police officer has to abide by that. You know, you, you then you could say, you can't search me, that's an illegal search. And he says, I don't care. What then? You have to go through complaint procedures. You have to have links within the police. And for me, that becomes a significant job. Yeah, I mean, we've seen uh, on our podcast before, we uh, talked about PC Savage and, you know, mm -hmm. we've seen there are some police officers that overstep the mark. So that is a very serious dilemma right there. So if I, even, even with PC Savage, do you remember the outcome? Was he suspended? No. Did he? Nothing. Nothing. Wow. And we all saw that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? He, and he got the wrong guy. <coughs> Talk about Charles Menendez. He wasn't even Ethiopian or Asian. He was Brazilian. Mm. The guy that got um, shot, shot by the police because uh, they suspected him for being a terrorist. He was just running for a train. He, 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 he weren't even running. Really? That was that was part of the PR. Wow. So, but for me, it's like, I don't want to, you know, kind of sweep it under the table. But yeah, for yeah. me, that's where we are. Do you know what I mean? Where it feels like as a community, we're always under attack by everything around us. And until we can take hold of that, and for me, the main thing is the media. Mm. The main thing is the media. So even, as I was saying to you earlier, last year we had about 131 murders, right? And when I drilled into that, I said to myself, because every time a young person got stabbed or killed, it was like, oh, the 120th murder this year in London. You know, it's worse than New York, etc. When you drill into it, for me, it's, it's a madness because how many do you think out of that 131 murders was under 25? 80%. So 49 okay. out of 131. And 20, under 25 for me is not a child. So how many do you so think? 49% or 49? 49 out eight. of 130. Oh, okay, wow. Under so, 25 years old. So not under 21s was 36. Wow. And, and for me, that includes um, eight-year-old Abdi Ali, who was found dead in a loft after being missing. A loft belonging to some uh, older white people. So nothing to do with gangs. Mm. We had... Um, Bethany, 22-year-old, who died from a fall from heights. Nothing to do with gangs. Yeah. You know what I mean? Painted as gang, yeah. 100%. You had Lily, 11-week-year-old Lily, who was found unresponsive in her house. Not a murder, but that's included in this stat. So mm. really, if we drilled into it and said, how many of these murders last year were from stabbings or shootings, including under-21s? It, it, it becomes a tiny proportion of the wider issue. For me, that's too much anyway, but it is... 
the, the, the environment that creates for young people that are watching it, when you're saying to young people, 131 young people was murdered in London last year, why, why would they not pick up a knife? You are, they are terrified. Yeah, protection. Yeah. And for me, it's, it's, it's this, this hostile environment that's being created in their minds. You know, it's not even the reality. They haven't necessarily got, they're not equipped to go out and do that research themselves. You're saying to them, 131 young people have been murdered last year from knives or guns. Why would they not go and protect themselves? Mm. And that might bring us on to the importance of male role models. Um, I mean, for my time doing uh, some youth work, um, I noticed that there weren't that many people from our generation. Um, there was like some older people um, and then there was like one or two um, that were, you know, kind of young enough to be able to connect with the teenagers, um, but still not, you know, so old that all they're worrying about is paying their mortgage and, you know, having a, a, a wife and children and stuff like that. So what what is the shape of it now? Are there uh, still a lot? Is there still a lot of a youth function? Because we know a lot of the youth centres have been closed down. Are there a lot of these positive role models I think, I think I think there's always been a lot of positive role models, if I'm honest with you. You know, like you can just look on on social media and see Carl Loco, who who started off as a as a gang leader, you know, and the Daily Mail would never let him forget that, if I'm honest with you. And then he was one of the few people that was invited to Prince Harry's wedding, you know, straight from Brixton. If you look online now, you'll see him with the pictures of him and with a shotgun and with his his friends, etc. To him moving into going to one of the few people that went to the wedding. Shout out to Harry. Do you know what I mean? And for me, my thing is, sometimes we're not allowed to leave our past behind us. No one talks about how, every year he does a strive challenge with Richard Branson. Do you know what I mean? Like he, he done one this year where walking up mountains and cycling and swimming across the world. And I'm like, the amount of fitness that you have to do that is crazy. You're going to give that do a go. Know what I, mean? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> What's your fitness saying? Yeah, boy, <laughs> I might be able to ride from... Yeah, very sure. <laughs> I might have to take lots of drugs. I mean, legal drugs, by the way. Of course. Just... <laughs> well, I could. I can imagine you won't have a lot of time though, because you're in a lot of groups. You're doing a lot of stuff in the community. Um, yeah, later for all of the jogging and the push-ups and stuff. In it. Um, but I don't know. Is there anything in particular that takes up most of your time? <sighs> Do you know? Is it, it things just pop up? Do you know what I mean? I'm I'm really into helping people, so I, I spend a lot of time um, doing work around the soup kitchen. So I run a soup kitchen for homeless people that we started in 2013. So again, that's voluntary. We, we don't get any core funding for that. So none of the staff are paid. Um, I've got a youth work organisation as well that I, I do a lot of gang intervention work. But even even talking about the role models again, for me, even though I'm doing a lot, for me, it's, it's, it's about opening up those doors and awareness to other people within the community to occupy those spaces. Um, a lot of the time, I feel like people from our community, what we do is we f we want to feel so exclusive that we close the door behind us. And what you find is that as, as you get higher and higher up, mm. you become more and more isolated and your voice starts to mean less. Mm. And for me, strategically, what we're supposed to do is is, is sit down and occupy the, the seats of power, you know, be there when, when the ideas are being formed rather than be there when the policies are already in place and being implemented. Mm. And for me, that's that's the biggest issue. And for me, that was that was one of the biggest reasons why why I became a counselor. Yeah, because I felt like I keep asking and I keep begging. Do you know what I mean? And why do I have to ask and beg? Why can't I do it myself? Have, am I not, you know, academically qualified enough? Have I not got enough experience? Can I not articulate myself properly? What's the problem? And for me, it's it's right now. I'm about just kicking down these doors. And I do believe, honestly, that some kind of scandal is going to come my way. 
because uh, I watch enough uh, programs to see the patterns. But for me, I'm hoping my community will stick by me regardless Definitely. of what's in there. I think they will. I, think well, they will. I know I know they're going to support you and we're going to support you on the podcast with this, but you're, you're pushing for um, London Mayor, Mary London, sorry, uh, when, when you do become Mayor, because we're going to put it out there. Yeah, so not, 2024. Yeah, so this speak on that. <laughs> well, yeah, this speak on that. So, so um, sorry to cut you, bro. Just before we do go, go into that, um, can you tell us a bit about your current role? So you're a counselor. Yeah. So for those that aren't too well versed in politics, so, like, is there like a a career progression from like counselor to MP to? So it's not. It's not. It's not progression. So, uh, counselor is a local politician. So mm. that means. So for example, Lambeth is one of the 32 boroughs in London. So Lambeth has got 63 elected councillors who run the whole council. So I'm one of the 63 elected councillors. And within that, you'll have a cabinet that have special responsibilities. So you have someone that does community safety, someone that does housing, someone, you know what I mean, healthcare. And then you have the deputy leaders, then the leaders of the council. That council in Lambeth, we also have three MPs who are nationally elected politicians. So that's a separate stream if that makes sense. Mm. So the councillors are local councillors. They actually deal with local issues, so the housing and the roads and et cetera, whereas the MPs will represent Lambeth to the rest of the country. So represent the views of people from Lambeth. So councillors still have to get elected? Yeah, both have to get elected. Awesome. So, yeah, Officially a certified man of the people right here. Yeah, Officially. come on. That's why we got him on. And also, uh, so you're going to push for um, Mayor of London. Um, just talk about how is that going so far? No, Denise, it's going really well. So we had um, one of the people that helped us set up the soup kitchen, a lady called um, Dame Tessa Jowell. Yeah. So she was actually the MP for Brixton. So that's how we really got to meet. And she was the first person that really made me know that, yeah, you can do something with politics. You don't have to be like them guys, if that yeah, makes yeah, sense. Yeah, you know, yeah. them guys that you don't even know. You just write to them when you're about to go to jail or something. You know, say, oh, I'm getting kicked out of my house. Let me write to my MP. You know, you don't even know what their role is. But with Tessa, she was there by our side all the time. So she went up um, against Sadiq Khan for the selection to become mayor of London. Yeah. First thing she does was get us to open up her campaign. She had you on board, yeah. Yeah, I was in my tracksuit. I said, Tessa, do you want me to change? You know, do you want me to? She said, why would you do that? And I was thinking, sit down, that's true. And for me, that's why a lot of a lot of my kind of public engagement, you always see me in my tracksuits because yeah, I'm yeah. like, it's not that, you know, people say, oh, look, that person switched up when they mm. got to this level. For me, my, my thing, this is my skin. Mm. Do you know what I mean? This is my pride. This is where I came from. Yeah. I'm not trying to hide that. No, I want not. people to, in fact, take it in as well. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, like even yesterday I was at an event talking and obviously I got this long title, you know, this councillor, Dr. Mohammed Hashi. So obviously I'm sitting there in my tracksuit. Everyone's all nice and, you know, like that, put, put together. And then when it was time for me to talk, I just jumped up and got on stage and people, I could see people saying, where's he going? <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm not going to lie. By the time I was finished talking, people was on board. Of course, you know of course. What I mean? You're a motivational again, person, man. Yeah. Like, you know, and you can, you articulate yourself well. Sorry. Um, Thank you. Yeah, um, so you're going to get yourself a red tracksuit maybe when you're running <laughs> Labour. Yeah. It, it would be, be red for United, really. No, nah, we're not talking nah, about United. We should get him an Arsenal tracksuit. No, really. I don't know about that. I want to be a winner, you know. Oh. <laughs> I need to be a Shots. winner. <laughs> Shots fired. Um, United's looking well. Um, well, look, man. So the process is going really well, um, running. Um, you know, we're going to be voting for you and supporting you. Um, I, I would like him to continue talking about yeah. running for mayor, though. Um, yeah, yeah. So for, for me, again, I've I've been a councillor less than a year now. Yeah. 
um, by the grace of God, I've already won a, a national councillors award. So not just a Labour, it was across all, all all parties. So I got the community champion award for for um, LGIU, um, some local government stuff. So again, for me, that's a, that was a marker because I just come into the game. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And they're already celebrating, and they're not necessarily celebrating what I've done now. What they're celebrating is what I've been able to achieve. Yeah. And for me, you know, coming from a community that's gone through so much trauma, gone through so much issues, you know, we all got friends that's been stabbed or shot and dead. All these things that we go through. And for me, it's like, it's inspirational for me looking at what's happening around me because I feel like I'm just representing the people that I've been around. Do you know what I mean? It's mm. not just my award. It's our, our award. Because for so many years we've been overlooked because we don't know how the system works. We don't get involved in the system. And now I feel like I'm in it. I'm actually the first Somali councillor in Lambeth ever. And that's in, in but for me it's 2018. And you're probably too late though. You're probably the first politician that wears a hoodie as well. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm trying to encourage them to, 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 to get into it, you know. Mm, so it hopefully up. we need to get more awards under my belt and then I'll be like, if you want this award, you need to wear a tracksuit. You will, you will. Well, haven't you got a bag of awards already though? Yeah. I think you got but, like a BAFTA for something? Uh, that was a Back to Black award, yeah. Okay. So again, shout out Freddie Kruger for that one. Again, that was our first community award. Um, and for me, it's amazing being recognised by your own community, let alone, you know, all these big organisations mm. that there's just surprise when, you know, your young black man is doing all right. Not getting, well, I can't say not getting shot, stabbed because that's <laughs> But, you know. Wrong phrase. Uh, yeah, but do, do you get what I mean? They're, yeah. they're celebrating because they never expected it. Mm. And that's something that I want to get rid of. Mm. You know, you should expect greatness from us. We're a community that's gone through so much trauma. And built up so much resilience. I don't want you to say, oh, sorry that you got shot. I want you to say, well done. You know, I want you to expect it. Well, you got shot. How can you be worried about redundancy? Or how can you be worried about, you know, this stress around our bills? You've been shot and survived. Mm. That's the level that I started. So you can't even scare me with all the rest of it. You know, you can't scare me with scandals because I am a survivor. Whatever you throw at me, I'm going to go through it. Come on, man. Democratically elected man of the people right here. I'm Trust sure you me. can handle anything they throw at you. Awesome, bro. Man, bro. Whole community is right behind you. Thank That's you. It. Um, yeah, I'm enjoying this conversation, man. Times is flying. It um, is. It really is flying. What else we got to cover? I mean, you touched on Soup Kitchen. Um, just as we're staying on politics, um, just any words of advice for younger people that see you and they might not be into politics or they want to get into it or they don't vote and... Boy, the unit is I found out very late that politics runs our lives, mm. you know, like from policies, from, you know, like budgets, from what's going to be cut. It runs our entire life. And for me, it's important that young people know that right now it's only about 33 percent of, of the population that votes, both in local and general elections. 33 percent. Mm. And that is that's why we're not represented. But even before the voting, you know, for me, it was interesting because before you get voted, you get selected to be put up for a vote and for me I was always there just voting and not really selecting and for mm. me it's important that you know young people they get more involved in understanding the structures that precede the votes on the ground level yeah, so, yeah. get involved in your in, in your local labour groups and your local conservative groups and whatever area you're in whoever is dominating get involved with them make sure you're putting forward the, the candidates that you want that reflect you make them accountable to you because there's no point when they get voted and they know you don't vote you mean nothing you hold no sway, yeah. you know, and for me, it's about becoming relevant, you know, as a people, we, we and for me, I, I don't even see it as a race issue, you know, it's a class issue for yeah. me, you know, as poor people, we've been 
secluded and isolated from these processes because we're like, oh, well, you know, if we're talking about Lambeth, for example, we've got the highest rates of youth violence, highest incidence of mental health, second highest rates of teen pregnancy, the highest rates of HIV. You know, one in three children is born into poverty. So it's easy to turn around and say, boy, voting is not my priority. You know, I'm out here trying to survive. Yeah. There's people out here that you were expecting them to thrive and they're not even surviving. Do you know what I mean? And for me, I hear that, but there's a greater responsibility. There's a, there's a bigger picture, which is being able to hold your elected councillors to account, your elected MPs to account, your elected prime minister to account. And it's because we don't vote while we're in this Brexit rubbish. Man, Dr. Hashi, like we could have this conversation all day. I think uh, we might have to get him on again another time. Definitely. Don't forget us when... Uh... Guys, come on. I'm done. Whenever you call me, I'll be here. <laughs> my come guy, on. my guy. Um, So your official title, how, how, how should we address you as your official title? Well, officially, you know. Officially, because <laughs> like, you know, you're certified, certified in academia, certified in the streets certified in the politician world how do we address you do you know it's for me i i prefer hash but for you know when you get into these places where people are looking at you looking down at you thinking you know you're not that important as counselor doctor that's it. Mohammed hashi talk it come on talk your talk <laughs> you have to make them know talk it? Your talk. <laughs> talk your that's it repping south london repping london um yeah yeah, man. This is uh, Beer Rap and Banter. Myself, Cal Sirius. Myself, English. Episode 39. We've got Nicholas and Nelka with a very special guest. Please, everyone in the background, everyone here, if you're listening, make sure you go follow him. Councillor Dr. Hashi. Big up, brother. Thank you very much. Yeah, hey. I'll just quickly where can we follow you? Oh, where can people follow you and also support the Bricks and Soup Kitchen for the GoFundMe and yeah, so, so the follows and the socials and all of that. Yeah, so on Twitter is Brick Soup Kitchen, B-R-I-X Soup Kitchen. On Instagram, it's Bricks and Soup Kitchen. So follow from there. You can see my my, my private account's on there as well. Personal, yeah. Uh, and this is uh, Beer Rap and Banner. We out. Thanks for listening. Peace.